0: This is Acts chapter 2, verses 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. We thank you, God, for baptism. We thank you, God, for all of these gifts that are, in a way, God, again, that is hard for us to know, understand, or explain, meant to be ways in which, Lord, we are drawn close to you. And so that's what we ask you for, Holy Spirit, just the help of being brought close to you, Lord. To be drawn closer to Jesus, to help us see you, God, as you are. So regardless, Lord, of how we felt when we came in, whatever distractions we carried with us, however tired we are or beleaguered we feel, we ask you, God, now for your grace and your help just to hear what we need to hear, to see what we need to see, to be drawn to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a gift, y'all, to be together. And uh, what, a great, what a great day. I, I'm so thankful um, for the baptisms they have been for me. I think particularly just because it's our first round. Uh, I just moved, my husband and I, and our family in June. Uh, So we're getting, this is our first Easter here at Christ the King, and getting to be a part of um, such an important moment in your lives is a real honor for us, and I think for our church, a real gift. And so uh, today, the text that we read from Acts is actually about baptism and about the Holy Spirit. And so what I wanted to do was to be able to talk about those things, because I suspect there are in this room a number of us who have wildly different, probably, experiences of both of those things both baptism and the Holy Spirit, right? And both of those words probably conjure up for all of us a number of different experiences, beliefs, convictions, whatever. And you know what? Thanks be to God. I actually really love that. And I hope to always be a part of a worshiping body and community in which that's the case. That on this side of the room, if we were to go down the road, that probably every single one of us would have a different maybe experience of baptism, certainly, or even understanding of it. Maybe a different experience of the Holy Spirit, understanding of what that even means. Um, I actually think that that's a gift, that the church is as varied and diverse as it is in that way. But it would also be helpful to kind of understand um, how we think about baptism here at Christ the King and how we've been living into it for these last number of weeks, especially for those of you maybe who have questions yourself about why Why do we do this thing again? (laughs) What does it mean? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Who is he? How are they connected? What is the connection between our baptism and receiving the Spirit or repentance, as Peter says? He obviously believed them to be connected, so why? And in what way? Um, So I I started the service by saying, here at Christ the King, we have um, two normative practices of baptism, meaning we do two things rather than just one thing. We both baptize those who are not yet of a professing age, just like we did this morning, the tiniest of us. We baptize them, and the church has called that traditionally infant baptism. We also baptize those who are of a professing age, meaning they're old enough and big enough to say with their own mouths at the time of their baptism that they believe. So those who are baptized as infants get baptized and later make a profession of faith, Those who are baptized when they believe get get baptized at the time of their profession. Does that make sense? And the church has called both of those practices normative, meaning from the earliest days of the church with a capital C, people have been baptizing, Christians have been baptizing infants. We'll talk more about why in a little bit. But that's been our normative, standard, historic practice. It was for a very long time, all the way up, actually, until the Reformation. And you don't have to know anything about that. Or when it was, but it's been hundreds of years ago now, centuries ago. And since that time, a fair number of Christians, the church, Protestants, a fair number of them, have been waiting for baptism until people were able to make a profession of faith. And you've heard me say it before if you've been here at Christ the King, but I actually think both of those traditions have within them something really powerful to say to the church. Really powerful and important reminders to preach to all of us. We call baptism a sacrament. Uh, St. Augustine said it was, a sacrament is it a visible sign of an invisible grace, which is brilliant language, actually. But the question is then, so we get the visible part, the water, the sprinkling, we get what we can see, but what is the invisible grace? What is the thing that we're meant to see that's hard to see, that's being shown, made visible to us when a person gets baptized? In other words, what is God hoping that we'll hear, hoping that we'll see every time we witness a baptism? And I think there are a number of ways that you can answer the question. But I actually think when you watch a child, an infant, get baptized, you hear and see something a little bit different than when you watch someone of an older age get baptized. And both of those testimonies are really important They really matter for the life of faith, and I'd like to explain a little bit about why and why I think that matters for, like, you right now. And if you're sitting there and you're like, I've already been baptized, I've already done this, seen it a million times, don't really care, think about it, has nothing to do with what I'm going through right now. um, I suspect it might, actually. The Word of God being living and active and all of that, you know. I was baptized when I was nine. I'll never forget it both the day of my baptism and also the day that I decided I wanted to be baptized. So, I don't know what Case's memory will be of today, how much he'll remember or how much he'll hold on to. Um, But you'll never convince me that what we did today is in any way insignificant and hasn't marked him in some meaningful way. The same is true for Case, for Mary. Um, It'll be different than what I remember, though, about my baptism. I remember when I was nine, I had a sleepless night because we'd talked about uh, slavery and the work of Dr. King. And I went home, and that night was apparently pretty tortured by the fact that we could treat one another that way. And I'll never forget my mom coming into my bedroom. I was crying. And um, she said, You know, you're sad because Jesus is sad. He's sad that we treat one another that way. And somehow that made sense to me in my nine year old way that the grief that I felt was somehow God's grief and that what I wanted to do, I wanted to be saved from whatever it is that might make us treat one another that way. And so I decided to get baptized, and it was beautiful, and I I remember every second of it. However, I then became a teenager, and things got tricky, and it didn't take me long into my teen years to feel like, you know what, I should probably get baptized again just to make extra sure. If what we're doing is washing some of that off, you know, like... Could probably stand, uh, you know, a redo. I think I was 16, 17. Just wasn't sure enough, you know? And so I got baptized again when I was a teenager. Just to make extra, extra sure. Here's the thing, though, that I didn't understand then that has come to mean a great deal to me now is that what I couldn't understand then is that baptism actually, from the earliest days of the Christian church anyway, was meant to be less a sign of how sure I am and more a sign about how sure God is. Less a sign of what I have done and what I can do and more a sign and testament of what God has done and what God can do. And that is a really powerful thing. And I'd like to explain to you a little bit about how important and like what that is. What it is that is made visible. What it is that baptism is meant to preach over you and through you even today as you remember your own baptism. It's not about you and what you can do, or have done, or haven't done, or could do, or should have done, your baptism, our baptism, is about who God is, what God can do, and what he has made possible for all of us, by his mercy and his grace. I have a role to play in that, for sure. Um, But his is greater. It always has been. Thanks be to God. Baptism is, like so many things, an inheritance um, from our Jewish family something that comes from the Jewish faith before it was ever Christian. So John the Baptist, for example, who was, of course, baptizing at the Jordan, he baptized Jesus, and he was baptizing people before there was a Christian baptism, yes? John was baptizing people not as a Christian. John was an Essene, he was a part of a Jewish sect, um, who was very devout and zealous in his pursuit of the Messiah. He was preparing people for the coming of God. And so he was inviting people through a Jewish ritual of cleansing into baptism as a mark of repentance in order to get them ready for the coming of the Messiah. So you come into baptism, like John would say, come repent and be baptized as a way of cleansing yourself because Jews would always cleanse themselves ritually before going to the temple, right? It was a way of like washing off all of the unclean things, the things I've done or that I carry with me in order to symbolically become clean so that I can enter the temple, what John was doing that was so fantastic is he was saying, actually, it's not about the temple at all. We want to be clean so that we can have communion with God. The temple is a sign of that, and that's phenomenal. But God doesn't only reside within the temple. Actually, the Messiah is coming. And so what we want to do is prepare ourselves for communion with him, for a new life that he will bring. And so John was inviting people to repent and be baptized. And so they were. Um, we're getting ready for God. That was the whole point. I think what's interesting is that that idea of passing through water for the Jewish imagination had always been so central, but it wasn't about baptism, and it wasn't even about impurity, firstly. Firstly, it was about, do you remember? For the Jew, the story of passing through the water, in the Old Testament and for the Hebrew Bible, the story that's most central is the Exodus story, yeah? Yeah? That idea of passing through water in order to have communion with God was so central, so definitive, so very much at the heart of the Jewish imagination that baptism was closely related, but they were distinct in some ways. That story, though, had been so foundational for them. Before Israel could be Israel, they had to come out of slavery, pass through the waters of the Red Sea, and then they could go and have communion with God. They could be a new Israel, be a new people. But that meant a kind of baptism of sorts. You have to pass through this water, get to the other side, and then sure enough, at Mount Sinai, God revealed himself, made himself known, and through his presence, we then have communion with him. That story so central to the Jewish identity and imagination. Yes, an act of repentance, sort of, right? We're going to leave slavery, leave it behind, and we're going to go and be with God. New life. So it's no wonder why for Christians who you have to remember, they began as Jews. When they were trying to think of how we would tell the story of passing from our old life into our new life in Christ, that that idea of passing through water made so much sense for them. You see, it wasn't just about cleansing, to get clean for God. It was also a kind of new exodus moment. We're going to pass out of where we've been. We're going to leave that behind, enter the waters of baptism, and come out on the other side a new creation, new life, so that we can have communion with God. So baptism becomes, in that way, a Christian symbol much later on. So yes, baptism, when we get baptized, when a person of professing age, like if I were to get baptized today, if I never had been at 38, my baptism would preach, would make visible to you all the choice that I have made to leave a kind of view of self, a view of God, in order to pass through water and get out on the other side to have communion with him. And that's what we would all celebrate. Repentance, a mark of new life, how powerful. And it preaches that. I've seen people get baptized in all ages. And every time I see a kid who stands up in front of their church and does the very brave thing of choosing to get wet in front of a bunch of people, which is, let's be real, a terribly embarrassing thing to do no matter what age you are. And for some of us, almost crippling to even imagine. So it's so powerful to me every time somebody is like, you know what, this means enough to me. I want out. In the same way that it was really hard, somebody, some real person, y'all, had to choose to put their foot to be the first one to step into that Red Sea. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to go first, and Moses wasn't there. And I don't know who she was or who he was. They had to be the first one to go, but that was tough. Walls of water on both sides piled up as high as they... It had to have looked insane, ridiculous, impossible, why on earth would anyone go towards this ridiculous thing that is happening? Why would I choose to sandwich myself between two walls of water? Because if I don't, I have to go back to Egypt. And until you want out of Egypt bad enough, it is very hard to step into the Red Sea. Do you know what I'm saying? So it thrills me when people do. Because I'm like, you get it. Because whoever he was or she was decided that the life with God that was waiting for them on the other side of that passage was worth it. So they could go through with courage and faith. What a powerful thing to be reminded of. It's beautiful. I'm thankful for it. But we also have to remember that every single person that passed through the Red Sea was a Jew. And here's why I think that that's important. Because they passed through that water not as individual people who made individual choices about whether or not to go through. But they went through as a people who belonged to each other and who belonged to God. Do you remember what God said to Moses and had Moses say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Not let my individuals who have made individual choices about how they feel about me based on their own understanding of who I am and where they grew up. Let them go and the rest you keep. That's not what he said. God said out over the entire house of Israel, weak in faith as I am to strong in faith as some of you are, all of us together. God said, let my people go. And so when they had to make the decision to pass through those waters, they didn't go around one by one and say, do you want to? Are you really sure you really want to? Tell me what you understand about this God you met five minutes ago. How do you feel about it? I'm going to need you to rehearse this creed. Say it like you mean it. He's listening. We all are. Sign it right here, and then you can go. It's just not how it worked. It was assumed that if you belong to this people, if you're a part of this story, then you're going You're going with us as one of us. And if you feel scared and afraid, that's okay. Because we're going to put the strongest of us on the outside. Somebody's going to go first. Somebody who's ready will be first. And somebody who's ready will be in the back. And the rest of us can fall somewhere in between. And we're going to hold on to each other. And we're going to go forward one step at a time. And God's going to be with us. And y'all, that is a vision of the life of faith that we desperately need to reclaim. We are in this together as the people of God. And every single person who was inside a house that was marked by the blood got to go through. Every single one. They didn't leave the babies behind because they didn't say, you know what, I'm really glad there's blood on the door. Yes, I'd like to choose a house with blood on the door, please. The babies who were in those houses, they went. And so when we baptize infants, what we're reclaiming, what we're preaching, is that there's something in this that is like a spiritual family. Before I could choose, God chose me. Before I could understand, he understood and claimed me. And someday, I will have to choose him back. I will. Because that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. When Jesus came up to Peter and James and John, he did not say, by virtue of the fact that you were born into a Jewish family, congratulations, you now get to be my disciple. What did he say? he looked at Peter in the face and he said, Simon, son of John, will you follow me? And so every single one of us at some point has to come to a moment with Jesus where you choose to go from being just one in the shuffle, one in the middle, caught up in the crowd, to being someone who's addressed by the Lord and God of the universe who looks at you and says, will you follow me? Will you You've been carried by this crowd. You've been caught up in the shuffle, but now it's your time. Will you follow me? To make a profession of our faith, it's a critically important part of our life together. It matters. My sons were baptized when they were infants. Just on the off chance, they caught the not sure enough gene from their mother. I want to spare them some of that because someday I'm going to have to look at them in the face if they forget, if they doubt, if they feel unsure and say, I know you're not sure. But God is. And I am. And someday you will be. And say it in faith. You know, pray it in faith over him. But I can't do it for him. My grandmother died before she ever got to see me, and I'm not sure how proud she would be now. Um, Prouder than she was when she died, though. (laughs) She and others have, I believe, prayed my faith into existence. Will your children be able to say the same? Will our children be able to say the same? Are we holding on to each other, y'all? Through the worst of it, Bearing with one another because we belong to each other. That's why I think this is so important, and that's why I think this infant baptism preaches so strongly right now, is because we need to remember that we belong to one another, that we are the people of God. Here in this church, my great hope is that when kids who are baptized as infants are of a professing age, when they feel ready, like I did at nine, to say, you know what, I want to be a Christian that they will have an opportunity to come and stand before their church and say, I choose to follow Jesus. He chose me before I could choose him back, but now I can choose him. And we'll pray for them at the front of this church or wherever we are, and we'll anoint them with oil to remind them of the work of the Holy Spirit because this is where he comes in. If you're caught up in the shuffle and going along, holding on to everybody else's coattails, you can do that without the Holy Spirit. But when the Lord looks at you and says, will you follow me? Will you choose me? You can't do that part without him. You can't. Because there will always be a gap between who Jesus is and who I am and my instincts, my choices, the things that come most naturally to me when I feel hurt or wounded, the way I want to respond, the things I want to say don't align with who Jesus is. And that gap is where the Holy Spirit lives. And it's his voice I hear, calling me to come closer to Jesus. And every single one of us, if we're going to live this life of faith, has to have that. We need him to move towards the Lord. So that's the question, I think, before all of us. If you have at any point in your life professed the name of Jesus and are a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit. It's not magical. You can't profess his name without him. And yet, if you know, deep down, I don't know that I've ever actually made a conscious, willful decision to actually be a disciple of Jesus. I don't know that I'm living my life with the Holy Spirit. I actually don't know that. Then what I'm thankful for is that I have come out of a tradition that made very sure to remind me over and over again that I could be sure if I wasn't sure. You know? Altar calls. Every week, we did them. There was always the invitation we do it differently here, but I would be failing you as your sister in the Lord and as your pastor if I let you go away and didn't from time to time say, are you sure though? Have you made a choice yourself to walk with him and be with him, to receive the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to do this by yourself? Because if you haven't, you can and you should. That's the invisible grace that is preached to us through these baptisms. He is sure, and He is here for every single one of us at every single age. What a gift. Amen. Don't leave here unsure, is all I'm saying. Come pray with somebody. I can't promise you magic. I can't promise you fireworks. I can promise you the Holy Spirit. And it's the greatest gift any of us has ever received. Holy Spirit, be with us, Lord. Help us, God, to wrestle with you where we are. I pray, Lord, now for the the freedom, Jesus, to move towards you. Whatever it is, Lord, that compelled Israel to step off the shore and to follow you, God. I pray, Lord, that something similar would be at work in our own hearts. That you would, Jesus, call us to yourself and empower us by your spirit, Lord, to be like you. In your name we pray, amen.